We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from arsenalvision.co.uk. No edit today, so in today's show, Paul and Tim will be discussing the 2-2 draw at home to PSG in the Champions League. As a result, that means we're probably going to finish second in the group now. Um, so that's disappointing. Manager wanted first spot, he mentioned that many times, and so did we. But Barcelona aside, finishing first or second doesn't really matter this year because it's much of a muchness terms of the quality in both positions um, in other groups but I suppose that's not really the point the point is our form has gone off the board a little bit in our recent games um, haven't managed to um, play as we did for example against Basel and against Chelsea at home uh, we haven't reached those levels but I suppose on one hand it's good that we we're drawing games and not losing matches even though we've clearly dropped off the pace at the moment uh, so it could be positive if we change it around and we can get back to our best form that's what we have to hope that's around the corner. But uh, we, we can't continue to um, not win games because it's going to backfire at some point. But, you know, we're showing a lot of fighting spirit and a lot of uh, commitment. I mean, for, for PSG, we're, we're the better team on the night. And um, on a different day, different year, we would have lost that game. So there's not much difference in terms of the table drawing or losing. But our mentality, I think, is quite important. Well, let's just hope that in, in the next few games we can um, we can get get winning feeling again and start going on a run of wins because that's what we need at the moment. We need to, we need to do that before we incur our first defeat, I think. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Back after Bournemouth, a jackless Bournemouth.
Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. I'm Paul Paz Poznan. Um, Elliot will not be here with us today, and thank fuck for that. Uh, with Giroud up top, a Chakales midfield into which Cock and Ramsey were shoehorned, our Champions League glory, his favourite competition, crumbling in our fingers like the burnt ashes of an old cherished photograph rescued from the fire. But don't worry, here to do a very highly passable impersonation of Elliot is the one, the only, the inimitable, the immutable, the unmutable, and Lord knows I've tried, Goal Gallo Timothy Stiller Stillman. Welcome, Tim. Hello there. Well, this is a bit embarrassing, as we've both written a blog today, both basically about Ramsey in midfield. But um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you got a chance to read mine, but I read yours. And fortunately, although I feared the worst, I wouldn't say that they're parallel or the same, but they're kind of they kind of work together, taking different angles. Mine was very much focused on that game. You were kind of talking about that game and projecting forward. Yeah, well, I, full disclosure, I wrote it last Friday actually oh, wow. for the United and the PSG game, so I, I slightly tinkered with it this morning. <laughs> Um, to include <laughs> explains only a few slightly, things only slightly but um yeah I, I i i'll be honest i rode back on a few things because I, it was probably a little bit more critical yeah maybe um not critical but cri- i mean critical in the kind of academic sense of the word yeah. critical critique Ooh. um but um but i think and i'm sure we'll talk about this i think last night actually he did quite a lot of the things that I was saying, he must do this. Um, and actually, he did quite a lot of them last night. And sometimes that's the danger of writing these things um, in advance. And I fully appreciate your anxiety as well. I get it all the time. Um, and I had, a, a, you know, I've had this, I've had this article waiting for six days. That's the thing about having an absolute like Thursday is my slot. Yeah. And I come up with something a long time in advance and I spend the next few days going, please no one else write about this please no one else write about this and i read anam's tactics column and i think he's a bastard that anam he's always he's always faking on the pulse that bastard yeah yeah and i think please don't write about what what i've already written about or i'm planning to write about and i I think i just about got away with it yeah um this week so i i fully appreciate and feel that that anxiety yeah Right, so you have you've had two really good looks at PSG, the Unai Emery version. Um, mm. What do you make of PSG as a side then? I, th- I I know they've had their kind of struggles domestically this season, or relative struggles, given that they've been walking away with league uh, for the last few years, uh. and they're not getting it all their own way. But I I thought that technically, particularly, they were really really sharp, really good especially when they went 2-1 down, actually. They really yeah. flicked it up the gear, and it was real one-touch, bang, bang, bang. Uh, I think, I, you know, I know I already knew that uh, Verratti, for example, was, you know, a wonderful little player. Um, and, yeah, I was I was actually really, really impressed with them in this game, and uh, I know a bit about Lucas Moura, um, and Lu- Lucas Moura is one of those, um, he's, he's very much a Brazilian Andros Townsend, Tim, please. I was literally what? holding my glass of port on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day to my lips and was about to quaff it and snorted it up the back of my nose at but, the Brazilian Andros Townsend. Anyway, 
but the, but this is the thing like Andros Townsend is once every kind of 10 games he's a phenomenal player who will completely run a game and win it all on his own Just and then the other 9 games he'll, he'll do absolutely nothing and Lucas Moura turned in one of his better games last night so I was actually really really impressed and I think their midfield shape has given us trouble in both games to be honest because they've got three kind of proper central midfielders and we've got a two and Ozil um, you know they, they play a, a lot more like um, I think you know when we won at Man City a, f- a few years ago and Ozil was just coming back from injury and he was on the bench and we had Kazola, Ramsey and Coquelin yeah. together it's not quite the same, but they played in a really tight triangle. They were never more than like 15 yards apart, and it enabled them to pass their way up the pitch um, yeah. quite quickly. And that's almost like a flying V kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and PSG do that very, very well. They move the ball through the middle of the pitch very, very well indeed. Um, and they'll stretch it as well. And, and towards the end, they were they were really, really looking to... You know, and in the first half, I think they did this as well. Like they, they knock the ball side to side. They, they, they work you. They run you around. Yeah. Um, and you know, for us, not having Alexis up there was a bit of a problem because, you know, Giroud doesn't do pressing really, and yeah. it allowed their centre halves. And I think Thiago Silva has like his passing numbers are just even by centre half standards freakish. He regularly hits one hundred percent. Um, I don't know if he did last night. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. But yeah. he's a brilliant passing defender, and he will, you know, basically they can they can suffocate you. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think they did that in spells um, last night. They they've impressed me over both games actually, and I watched them play like that. And I think why aren't they walking Liga like they have been for the last few years, and why have they been having these troubles? Because they 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 and and even in our group. They weren't convincing against Basel. They weren't convincing against Ludogorets away, although neither were we. So it's 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 kind of weird. They seem to have re- reserved their best for us, and whether that's just something about the way we play that kind of suits them. Well, can I? Because um, I, I, I think you have a point there. You, you had a couple of great points in there. Um, on that, obviously, we're a play a team that likes to play. We don't set up to stop them, and ooh. that suits them. And in theory yeah. suits us, but probably suits them slightly more than us. But welcome to being, you know, Arsenal for the last two decades. Uh, one way or another, we come to play football 99 times out of 100, apart from maybe, you know, with United, we took a much more conservative approach, you would say. Mm. Um, so that was one aspect of it. But I, th- uh, I th- think the point you hit on, uh, they had a four-three-three for much of the game. I think they kind of switched it a little bit when they brought him, brought on Hat and Ben Arfa. It was a bit more four-two-three-one, and they were still really going for it, strangely. Um, but that four-three-three, you know, before you even announce our team, whoever the two is, is going to have a fucking job on their hands against mm. that three, backed by Tiago Mata and a generally technically very sound team. And mm. and so to me, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit as we go along, however you measure the midfield, you've got to take context a little bit into account that whoever that two is, given that it's a two plus Ozil doing his ephemeral um, mercurial thing, which is wonderful mm. while it's producing, but 
kind of leaves you a little naked when it isn't. Um, it kind of makes you think as a manager, you better be sure of your midfield. So, because yeah. uh, I think we all had consternation at the selection. <clears throat> Um, yeah. It wasn't the selection I expected. I could give a passing stab at defending it, but it wasn't what I expected, and it brought consternation from, a, I think, a good 95% of us. So your thoughts on the selection, well, the selection, I won't, I won't put boundaries on it. Take me yeah. through your thoughts on, on who we picked. Um, so okay, I I originally predicted um, a two-one victory for Arsenal. And when I saw the Great. starting eleven, I, re- I reversed that to <laughs> I reversed that to a defeat. Um, that's that's how unhappy with it I was. The only hang on, I'm trying I'm our... trying to keep count of how many times you've been wrong in this sentence so far. Twice, <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, indeed, and um, you know, in light of our conversation, I think maybe the because I looked at it and I thought, right, Ramsey and Crocolan, that doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. We've tried it many times, doesn't work. Yep. We know this. And then I looked up front and I thought, Giroud with Alexis and Iwobi. Well, Alexis and Giroud doesn't work. It's never not worked many times. We know this. Iwobi and Giroud doesn't work. Hasn't worked many times. We know this. So we we've, we've got these jarring combinations all over the pitch. The only thing in light of our conversation that I can think of in terms of picking Ramsey and Cockerland together is that, you know, we probably knew we were going to be outnumbered and he just picked the two players with the biggest set of lungs on them, basically. Um, he almost <laughs> Sorry, flashback en- to about energetic. 20 or 30 years ago when I was in a pub <laughs> drunk. You say there's somebody with enormous... I'm sorry, never mind. Anyway, yes. Uh, so I concur um, with that. Yeah, you could you could say Onani possibly muscles awesome. his way into that picture as well in terms of pure energy, but it just and and with Giroud, I think it, it's just clear by now that you know Giroud alters the dynamic of your team, and if you're gonna if you're gonna go with that dynamic, commit to it. Put Chamberlain next to him. Don't put Iwobi next to him. It doesn't do Iwobi any favors. It doesn't do Giroud any favors. Put Chamberlain next to him. Those two at least have a relationship and. You know, Giroud, he, he likes crosses. He likes battling for headers. So put someone wide of him, at least one player wide of him, who likes getting to the byline or getting crosses in. Don't put Alexis and Iwobi either side of him. And it, it just kind of, it it felt like it it was pity for Giroud, you know, because yeah. he's looked a little bit moon-faced lately, but he's still been scoring off the bench. And, you know, he did that kind of enigmatic non-celebration on Saturday. And it feels like that, um, you know, Giroud is one of these players that Arsenal is very, very, very loyal to, to a fault loyal to. And he felt like he owed him a start because he's been a bit sad and a bit sorry for himself. Um, and I would have had more sympathy with it because, look, we... we Giroud's a good player and he's going to have to start some games and, you know, he's going to have to be rotated in and, and, and that's absolutely fine with me. But for me, if he'd have rested Alexis and played Giroud up front um, and, you know, perhaps put Chamberlain in or, or Walcott, who I understand wasn't fully fit, like someone he can actually play with, I've had a lot more sympathy rather than this kind of halfway house yeah. that just didn't do anybody any favours really. And I think the numbers speak for themselves. We've had what, three shots on target in the last two games. Yeah. 
um, because we've been trying to do this like mix and match wishy-washy approach where we don't really commit to a certain style and we end up doing nothing and you know the other big problem is as well it's 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 very obvious why Ozil's not been as effective the last couple of games because you don't have Kazola or Jacker in there. There's there's just nobody really to give him the ball. Yeah. And um, I feel like again, if you want uh, like Ozil, there's a penalty as we've just said to having Ozil in your midfield three. You incur a bit of a penalty defensively. So if you're going to do that, make bloody and and he's good enough to justify that. If you're going to do that, make bloody sure that you get him the ball as much as possible to justify that. Make absolutely sure that he can be as effective as he can be. And you don't do that by putting Ramsey and Coquelin behind him. So what, again, it's about not committing to something. Yeah. You know, it's a bit, if, if you're going to play Ozil in there, you've got to play one of Cazorla or Jack and give him the ball because... There's there's a bit of a tariff of having him in your midfield three, so make so reduce it as much as possible yeah. by giving him the ball as much as possible. I'd have had a lot more sympathy if he'd have um, maybe even dropped Urzil and just put El Nenny in and just said, look, we're going to match up with their three. That's what we're going to do. These three guys can run all day together, and you know, Urzil, you're either out wide or on the bench. I'd have, I'd have had more sympathy with that, but again, yeah. it was this wishy-washy halfway house kind of thing and I don't know it just feels like Arsene's lost his nerve a little bit with with this team and this formula he found in the last few weeks and it feels like he feels a loyalty to some players that perhaps he doesn't feel to others and um, he's got to get over it he's got to get over it because otherwise we're going to keep seeing wishy-washy football with poor build-up play and very few shots on goal. Okay, so I think I mostly agree with most of that. Let me let me offer a few counterpoints. I thought, uh, so when I saw the front three, I thought that'll be interesting because we haven't seen it configured like that with Alexis on the right. I thought the one player out of our front three who actually played well was Alexis. And if he hadn't banged in five bad crosses into the box... Uh, inexplicably for him, um, mm. we he might have actually done some real damage there. Uh, but he was a player who played well in isolation. He didn't link up with Giroud. Well, he played with the rest of the team. He didn't link up with Giroud and Iwobi was too far away from him. Um, I, mm. I like your thought of... Uh, I like your thought process there. I wasn't with you with not playing Ozil because I think... As a manager, that causes you some challenges. But yeah, but course. but I'll, this might have been a game where it made sense to push uh, Ozil out to the left, uh, bench Iwobi for this game, and mm. like you say, have a midfield three uh, where we can match them in terms of intensity. But my feeling on our midfield two, which you know a lot of people, as we all know, had a real go at. Uh, Ramsey and Cockland before the game I had certainly had my apprehensions uh, you know if you ever get reading round to reading my blog my, the, the thesis of it is if you watch those two players for the 90 minutes I'm not sure they did much wrong and they did a hell of a lot good no, no. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, but I do fully agree that the big weakness was there was no connective tissue to Ozil which is kind of a deal breaker uh, given mm. who we are who are how we set up, you know, to me, the 
the the common theme between our poor performances lately was as soon as we lost Santi, uh, yeah. we have not been able to replicate anything that we did with him in the team. Uh, the 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 supply to Ozil and back again, it's just not. It, it's kind of inexplicable. You know, in the manager's defence, we haven't been good with Sanchez up front. Um, with anything else he's tried so far. Um, so I can understand why he, with the pressure to play Giroud, having been Mr. Goal a game based on 10 or 15 minutes each match, I could see why he might be tempted to give that a go, to, uh, use it as a way, you know, at the same time in parallel, giving Ramsey a, a game in the middle. This was probably the game to go for, but to experiment a little bit. But I agree with you on the thought process that it's the players around that that didn't quite make sense to give those guys the best the best chance. The, the, argue, the biggest argument I would have had with anybody who still had the legs to argue with me last night on Twitter was going straight for Coquelin and Ramsey. I think they did a lot of good shit. I, I, yeah. I actually think they're, strangely, although they didn't c- connect with Ozil, they're their passing, both of them, was pretty progressive. Um, you know, so I went back through the match and I scored it like a boxing match, uh, kind of in five-minute rounds. Uh, people said we didn't come out and compete, that we weren't ready at the start of the game. Well, that's not what I saw for the first five minutes for sure. But a recurring three theme through this game was sloppy passes, not particularly by the midfield two either. All around the, yeah. the, I mean, we can Out all, defense. yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Gibbs had two or three. I thought he generally had a pretty good game, but two, you know, two or three sloppy passes. Uh, it will be, you know, you can go player Mustafi. Uh, Kishelny had a couple of fucking. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he was inspired at other times, and he had a handful uh, of Cavani to deal with. Uh, you know, of course, not to be too hard on Jenks, but Jenks had his moments. So you go around that team, uh, Giroud, Iwobi, uh Alexis was pretty good on uh, with the ball at his feet, but the crosses he gave away when we were to nobody were Oxlade-Chamberlain-esque. Uh, you yeah. know, Gibbs or uh, Jenks's few crosses until the second half, he had a bit. So you add up the number of times we. F- fucked away the ball against a team like PSG you're just begging for the pressure to come back onto our team and th- just like we did in Paris I mean maybe there's something about the way they play but when I looked at incident after incident there was no great reason for it it wasn't that much pressure you you can you know there's just countless episodes of us uh doing all this work pressing pushing up the field uh, hunting in packs, which we did after they scored a goal. It took us about five or ten minutes to really get some momentum going. We pushed towards the end of the first half. We had the upper hand. We had the upper hand for maybe 20 minutes in the second half. Loads of effort, loads of pressure. But between all that pressing and between all the extra work we had to do because we kept giving away the fucking ball, I'm not surprised mm. We that when it came to the end of the game, people said they looked like... They wanted and we didn't, which is, to me, it's bollocks. It's bollocks from the manager's substitutions. It's bollocks from the effort you can see in bursts at the end. We were just, we we kind of did it to ourselves. And the, the, 
To me, the bleeding dagger was not in the hands of Ramsey or Koscielny. In fact, Ramsey could have nicked that goal. The one Iwobi put in, maybe, I don't know, it was after their second goal. Uh, oh, no, it was before their second goal. It could have put us 3-1 up, the one where Ramsey gets into the six-yard box and he's inches away from uh, being Ramsey of old, uh, plugging that mm. shot in. And so, for me, the story of the game was, yes, they were the better team. They were the better team over over two legs. They sh- they shaded it, but in a kind of cunning way where you can never really say they probably couldn't have always gone up that extra gear. Mm. Um, uh, uh, but probably the biggest issue on our side is the point you went to, which is, is the manager as unsure as we are how to yeah. configure... The, it's kind of a throwback to last year, isn't it? What, what to do without Santi or Coquelin. And he, even, yeah. even when we got Coquelin back last year, it didn't solve the problem. So it's reduced to, amazingly, a, a really strong squad, really well positioned, but nothing works without Santi. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think it's a little bit of a concern, to be honest, to me, that um, beyond Coquelin and Cazorla, He's bought, you know, he's, he bought El Nenny in January. He bought Granite Jacker in the summer, and yet he doesn't really seem to have a clear plan about how he sees them or how to use them. Yeah. So it's almost like he's just stockpiled a load of bodies, but he still doesn't. He doesn't have a clear, you know, all, all yeah. that stuff that a lot of us said in the summer about. Oh well, Jacker's obviously been bought, bought to play next to Ramsey, and it's the only thing he hasn't done pretty much so yeah. far. I think maybe. Cazorla and El Nenny hasn't happened either. It's one of the partnerships he just hasn't gone to, and he must have his reasons for that. I'd like to know what they are. Yeah. Um, so it's so it's a bit like, and and you know earlier in the season, I know we said on this podcast, well he had to sort out the defence first because he's bringing the uh, central midfield uh, central defender in. Then he was reconfiguring the front line and using Alexa, and and it's like right, you've got those two things sorted. Now we'll see his vision for the midfield. And it just feels like he hasn't got one. Yeah. He doesn't really know what... It's almost like he's just waiting for something like Coquelin and Cazorla, which came out of nowhere, for that to just happen again. Like, he doesn't actually have a clear idea of, oh, yeah, in in the absence of one of those two, these two will work as a pair. Because he's chopping and changing. And I suppose, in fairness, again, a lot of us did say, well, maybe um, we can go a bit horses for courses and change... Sure according to the opposition. I think we certainly did that at Old Trafford, uh, bringing Coquelin and El Nenium was very much a safety first measure and one I understood in the circumstances. So, you know, may- maybe we're doing him down a bit and he's actually doing what a lot of us said that he should and actually what we're seeing is that that approach possibly doesn't really work very well. Sure. Um, it, it, but yeah, it it's, seems it's, as an alchemist... If you picture him of an, as an alchemist... His philosophy in the lab is to take his little beaker and rather than saying this chemical and this chemical should do this, he's like, yeah. let me take these two chemicals, shake them up and see what happens. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And th- it, he's kind of, uh, uh, and to be honest, that's how most science actually works. You know, if you look at the, f- yeah, yeah. Uh, to get slightly off topic, to, if you look at uh, pharmaceuticals, most of the shit that drugs 
are used to treat are not what they were originally designed for. Maybe that's how midfields work. But it doesn't. It's, it's the same with the recreational drugs as well. Oh, okay. They usually they're, they're meant to be well, like like heroin is diamorphine, oh, yeah. right? They were, they were trying to find um, a better painkiller mm. than, than morphine. <laughs> so most most recreational drugs are usually um, quote unquote mistakes. Because um, they're meant to be pharmaceutical. Wonderful, wonderful mistakes, and and so, <laughs> so what what Arson's waiting for is his next wonderful mistake. And it seems to me so. Uh, on the midfield, to me, weirdly, because I wasn't expecting it, Co- the Cochrane Ramsey part of it was actually I thought quite good. Not good enough. Not good enough for long enough in the game. Didn't connect to Ozil. But maybe there's something there if you tweak our formation by pushing Ozil out to the left. Not for the whole season, but until we patch up uh, Santi or until we find, uh, the alchemist shakes up two other ingredients that gives him the two he's looking for. But we, you know, we're stuck, like we were last year, at a, a critical point in the season where we're right in it, November, just like last year, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which way will it go? You know, last year felt like it when you look back on it, we were never in in with it with a shake, except you remember back to November. Seasons can go either way. So it's kind of at that critical point where arson needs to find something and quick. Mm. And uh, and as you think mentioned in your blog, the fixtures are going to come fast and heavy. So he probably needs to find more than one formulation that works because if you pick Coquelin and Ramsey, you're not going to take that through the whole uh, December, maybe into January before Cazorla's is back. No, and maybe with um, kind of Jacker and Ramsey, may- maybe he just thinks, well, Man United, PSG, that's not the time to try this. And, you know, maybe his... I don't know because I've been kind of rolling back this whole why isn't he playing Granite Jacker thing for a number of weeks and every yeah. every time um, I think right now we'll see oh no no he's not playing still why is that and I keep trying to come up with rationales and I'm finding it a, a little bit more difficult but maybe he'll think right Bournemouth um, Stoke uh, West Ham Stoke maybe that's more the time to try it but I don't know I'm not so sure he's, he's yeah. never been afraid I don't think to to try things in in bigger games if, you th- if he's convinced they're going to work and it it just seems weird doesn't it it to does spend 35 it does. million pounds on a midfielder and then think well he can't play with Aaron Ramsey who you know to all intents and purposes Wenger obviously really likes he's 25 and should be with with Cazorla at his age you know Ramsey should really be um, if not already, the kind of the, the mainstay of the central midfield for a few years, and so it'd be very very weird if he bought Granite Jacker and then thought no, but he can't play with Ramsey. Yeah, um, I, I can't get my head around that. No, really no, I'm with you on that. I, right up to this game, I could I could rationalise it, and uh, and kind of based on what you just said, I think you can maybe get this last game out of it to rationalize it at it but the thread's getting thin if he doesn't yeah. start playing him now there's something really odd going on 
And, yeah. you know, he did want to win this game. There's no two ways about it. And he is on it. People say, well, we've nothing to lose. We should have gone for it in terms of the context of the game. We did have something to lose. Losing would have been bad against PSG in terms of morale, momentum. Uh, you know, we get... Uh, one way or another, we get to be kind of top of the table. We might lose out on a technicality, a, a very valid technicality that PSG mm. factored into their performance, no doubt. But, you know, we could be ahead on goal difference and equal on points. Yeah. That's not the worst thing in the world for our morale. It may not make a huge difference in the next round of the competition. Obviously, winning's far better than losing for for all those reasons, for our ambitions. Mm. But losing would have been bad. We would have lost our unbeaten run. He did want this game to be uh, kind of a statement game as to where we're at. It didn't quite work out, but the opposite of that would be a statement game of where you don't want to see the team. So he may have, he, he, to your logic, he may have said, I'll go with the the scenarios, the combinations, the formulations that I can see my way through now. Uh, Bournemouth is the game where I kind of really add in a few elements into the flask and shake it and move things around and see what Chaka, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Chaka Ramsey. Maybe... That's the one he's holding back for Bournemouth, but I agree with you. Mm. We'll we'll know a hell of a lot more after Bournemouth, and if not West Ham, something weird's going on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's because um, it's kind of difficult to work out at the moment, but yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk through a few incidents because there was plenty of them. Mm. Um, their first first goal was a beautiful bit of movement. I think um, it was uh, your buddy uh, Silva from the back knocked it to uh, Mata, who passed it through to Matuidi, who caught um, Mustafi flat-footed. Uh, yeah. Not much pressure on the ball, but when I looked at it, I don't know that you can expect the 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 two CMs to cover that much ground for 90 minutes. I don't think they did a- anything extraordinarily bad in not getting out to Mata before he made the pass. Mustafi was caught flat-footed for sure. Um, and Cavani kind of got the other side of Koscielny and, and got an extra half yard, which he's quite yeah. good at. Yeah, I mean, here, like Cavani, um, he... His movement is exceptional. Isn't it? Um, his, his his finishing is another thing altogether. Um, but I I did think I did think that was a pretty well worked goal. To be honest, I I do think that classic going up more... through the gears, wasn't it? They just kind yeah, of hypnotized yeah. us because it, it's basically at about fifteen minutes was where they started that that thing we thought they were doing the whole half. The tempo passing on eighteen minutes is when they suddenly go up through the gears and score that goal. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, I can't remember a football pundit who described it um, like this as, you know, slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. Yeah. Um, like a dance step, you know. Yep. So it's just like you knock it about, slow, you know, yep. lull your opponents almost into sleep and then bang, bang, go. And it and it was it was very much like that and they're good at doing that. And um, I, I do think we should have had more pressure on the ball kind of higher up the pitch. I think we, we've seen yeah. that quite a lot over the last couple of seasons. Because it's the um, centre-back who plays out and then the midfielder 
and neither of them yeah. feel a lot of pressure at that point for whatever reason. Precisely, and and I I do think again that's that's maybe a little bit a consequence of playing Giroud up front, who doesn't really do the pressing thing. Maybe yeah. if Sanchez is up there, it it might play out differently. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I I think that's that's more. And obviously Mustafi gets gets turned. It's a good turn uh, by Matuidi, but um, he he does get caught out there. And again, that's probably uh, the payoff you have for having a defender like that who likes to come out and attack the ball and he gets it right most of the time. But a bit like Koscielny of you know up until a season or two ago, before he became this slightly more. Um, not reserved, but the, this slightly more kind of senior figure um, at the back. You know, he used to do that a lot. And sometimes yeah. you've got to accept that they're not going to get it. Um, and you'll lose a goal every now and then. But um, in, in, you know, overall, you'll, you'll save a lot more goals by by them getting it right. Yeah. Um, but it's always so a bad I, I, combo of n- no pressure on the ball and playing exactly. the line. And playing the offside because if they get their timing r- right, you're kind of they got you dead to rights. Exactly, and I I think Arson said something in the uh, after the game as well, where he said something like, "Oh, we didn't know when to press and when to mm. when to sit off," and it was a bit like, "Well, why do you think that is, Arson?" Because <laughs> you confused everybody with the team selection. Yeah. But um, but that was clearly one of those times where, like you say, if you're going to sit off, then you keep your lines intact, yeah. um, and we did, we did neither really. Yeah. So the midfield and the forwards weren't pressing, but the centre backs were, and yeah. you know again it didn't work. And, and I think that speaks to a little bit of the dysfunction through the spine of the team, where you have some players who who do press and some players that don't, and that doesn't seem to be a great deal of instruction from the manager about when to do it. Um, yeah. So. It, it, it was all it was all a little bit of a consequence of that, and I think PSG were worth their goal at that point. I thought that they were they were well on top, and we weren't troubling them at all. And sure. they were seeing plenty of the ball, and it, it wasn't a massive surprise when it came. Yeah, to be fair, that whole right side is kind of new to itself. Jenks, yeah. uh, uh, Ramsey, Alexis, uh, and as you say, even Juru potentially plays a role in that. And they got it wrong and. Mustafi should have dropped off and run with the player, and and between them all, that's where co- confusion comes, and we just got it wrong. But PSG are are damn good at going through the gears, and and they'll move you. They had moved it from side to side a few times, and then came back and bang, bang, bang. It's like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, precisely, and um, and I think the game kind of continued in that vein a little bit, really, for the rest of the half. Yeah. And um, you know the equaliser when we got it. Um, you know, in in Venice, the actual move that led to the penalty was a very, very good one. And had Sanchez not been chopped, I mean, he had a clear shot on goal. So I think you can give the team credit for working what was, um, you know, a guilt-edged opportunity uh, in order to get the penalty. So the penalty itself wasn't a slice of luck or you know, just someone inexplicably punching the ball from across or something. It was well worked. It was. It was, um, a, it was a brilliant pass, basically no look by Ozil, a, a, an angle cut back which nobody seems to swivel her hips better than he does. Uh, he had Sanchez charging up behind him because I think Sanchez had kind of laid it off. Uh, and then 
uh, strangely, uh, Giroud was was actually the guy who pressed uh, Krachowiak to get the ball off him. It was his one moment of supreme pressing. And uh, Sanchez comes charging up. Ozil eyes into the back of his head. Just perfect timing right onto his foot. And nobody cuts back better than Alexis. So as far as I'm concerned, fuck him. Um, it yeah. was beautifully worked. Uh, that's the kind of shit that gets a defense all tangled up and is well worth a peno. So fuck it. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, uh, Giroud did very, very well as well in terms of, you know, Cavani was trying to get yeah. pain in the arse um, with the penalty. And he, he really, really should have been booked for that. It was, um, you know, the definition of ungentlemanly conduct. Um, but Giroud did, did pretty well to keep his cool. Nice and cool. And, um, and, 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 you know, it was a very good penalty. And actually, he does he does dupe the goalkeeper if you watch it from behind, if you watch what his body's doing. He looks for all the world like he's going to steer the ball in that into the keeper's bottom left and then at the last second just opens his body out and uh, at the time I, w- I was initially um, a little bit annoyed that I-, I-, I felt like Giroud should have having scored the penalty given Cavani a bit back yeah um, I-, I think that's quite important I you know I-, I know I say this a lot about Arsenal being a bit too nice and I, I don't know I don't want us like you know diving for penalties so much. I don't want us diving to get people sent off and stuff like that. But just a little bit of getting in people's heads, getting in the referee's head. And also I think it's important to let opponents know that either that you won't take that shit or you know, even if Giroud, you know, made some kind of gesture as in, you know, you motivated me to score that kind of thing. You know, I know it sounds all very silly and schoolboy. No. But but Obviously, subsequently after the game, I did see the clip of Giroud going off with Cavani, um, you know, with his kind of, with it, you know, doing that thing where he's, he looks like he's got his, his his arm around him, but actually he's like gripping his neck. Yeah. And he's in his ear. And, and I thought, oh, no, actually, that's that's fair enough. That That's what I mean. That kind of, not that over the top, but just that little bit of needle back that, you know, you, you tried it on, you fucker. And... It didn't work. Especially um, when you think of the trouble he's got himself into by letting his emotions get the better of him in indeed, other indeed. Champions League matches. I thought he actually kind of handled it pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Ramsey was, was kind of there giving giving Cavani an earful as well. Yeah. I, I suppose I just had in my mind, um, you know, when Thierry Henry scored that penalty yeah. against Middlesbrough in the unbeaten season and Mills was giving him... Yeah, an earful in the build-up, and Omri kind of, yeah. you know, gives a bit back. You know that that that's the kind of thing I think about when I say that Arsenal yeah. a bit too nice. That's that's what I mean. That would have been that, sweet. That little, but you, but you're right as well. You know, Giroud, he's had some harsh lessons to learn in that, in that regard against these opponents as well. So, you know, fair fox. It was, yeah. it was a really really good penalty, and he's really good at taking them as well. Yeah. Um, he's a very accomplished penalty taker and he really kept his cool because he really hadn't seen much of the ball to that point and it would have been very easy for him to be frustrated. It would have been very easy. You know, he's trying to impress and keep his place in the team. It would have been very easy for him to thrash the ball. And uh, what, what's weird about his penalties is that quite often, that's one of my criticisms of his finishing, quite often, you know, he just tries to lace it mm. um, all the time. And actually, I think he's got better at that. In the, in the last couple of seasons, but quite often it you know thump the ball and it go just wide and you think oh just a little bit of finesse, but actually his penalties are 
are, are usually really nicely finessed, really nicely finished, and um, and yeah, it, it, it was it was pretty undeserved. Um, I think it's fair to say at that point. I didn't really see. I don't really remember any decent chances before that, um, or even a period of play where we we moved the ball particularly well. But getting that just before half time felt felt really significant. Yeah, I think that's right. It was the cherry on the top of about 10 minutes of pressing them upfield and and harrying them and forcing turnovers, but we just didn't do very much with it. Um, there was the Ramsey run into the penalty area where he, it kind of looked like it might have been a penalty, but if you looked at it from any reasonable accent, uh, angle, um, the, the defender had got the ball, but at least it looked like something that we were pressurizing them, that we were getting in there. There were a few crosses in that that went astray or to nobody. Lots of good pressure, harrying, kind of forcing the ball to turn over in that 10 minutes, but nothing very dangerous. This was our our one dangerous moment, and yes, we got a bit lucky with it, but fuck it, most goals involve some luck. So, Tim, um, we'll get into some of the juicier moments of the second half, but let's take a, a little step back, and I wanted to ask you, did you um, the the poet Horace once said "Odi profanum vulgus et archeo," which means apparently, um, "I hate the common rabble and I keep my distance <laughs> from them." Unfortunately, I ran into some rabble on Twitter last night. Some of my best buddies. Um, did you spend any time with the vulgus last night after the game? Um. Only a, a little bit. I, I put across some thoughts and some frustrations in terms of the team selection. Um, I saw a lot of, uh, you know, the, the kind of the Ramsey stuff, shall we say, going on. Um, I didn't engage massively with it. it. It's difficult on the way home when you're underground and you're in and out of Wi-Fi and stuff. Did you go straight uh, home? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I always do midweek oh. games. Did uh, did GZPs and Arse Blog get shit faced or something last night? I believe they might well have. Yes. Okay. I I uh, pictured uh, you in the middle of it, your hand coming up from under the table. Oh uh, no, I am. I, um, I actually I, I don't drink in the same pub. Um, actually, but um, <laughs> as a policy, <laughs> <laughs> what pub are they in? Yeah, no, um, I don't drink in that pub. <laughs> Um, and also, I, I then had the kind of small matter of, uh, of Atletico um, oh, yeah. losing a cup final oh. um, uh, in the early hours of the morning, uh, first leg. But oh. it's it's still pretty much the shit. But anyway, so I you know I was I was then enveloped in uh, in in a slightly unhappier sphere of my Twitter <laughs> timeline. Um, so I I didn't get you know I I kind of I put I, I lit the fire and I ran off. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, dived as you were going across the parking lot with the building exploding behind you. I understand. Yeah, well, we won't get into that. We know what Twitter's like afterwards. Yeah, emotions yeah. run high, understandably. And I, I must say, I, I did detect that. I, you know, I know this was effectively a, a bad result for us because yeah. it means we're almost certainly not going to finish top of the group. We're but, doomed. You know, sometimes, sometimes draws. You know, they they go either way, and there's some. Like you remember the Middlesbrough draw, people were quite sanguine about that. Yep. I thought, um, and quite understanding, and maybe that was because we were just playing a bit better at the time. But you know how people are never going to quite take a draw yep. amongst Arsenal fans, and uh, and actually this one, I think, because we were two one up, and effectively because of the way the group set up, 
a draw to defeat, really, yeah. um, in, in context. Um, and, so, and, and actually this one, you know, and, and a lot of people's favourite lightning rods were playing like Ramsey, yeah. like Coquelin, like Giroud. Um, so, you know, I think that sparked off plenty of debate as well. So this this was a draw that in the kind of world of, costed world of Arsenal social media did feel was treated a little bit like a defeat. And that's probably as well because we drawn our two previous games. So, you know, the thermometer's beginning to just creep up a little bit. Yeah. So the second half starts, we, we won't go through it blow by blow, but we had a good 15 or 20 minutes, maybe not uh, sophisticated play, but certainly we took the game to them. Uh, we forced the issue, we pressed, we harried, we caused turnovers in the final third. Most of that 15 or 20 minutes was played in and around their final third. And we started to look dangerous, even if there weren't a lot of shots on goal. But there were passes that went awry just before shots on goal. Um, and we there was a nice pa- uh, bit of movement that led into the... Uh, own goal on their side the Alexis mm. movement swung the ball out to the right Jenks squared it into the middle Alexis continued his run into the six yard box Verratti uh, tr- trying to get in there and provide some cover had the misfortune of it banging off him but I, I guess my feeling is kind of like the penalty uh, you put the the other team into enough pressure you get people yeah. into the box. You put the ball into a dangerous spot. You've moved them around. Fuck it. That's that's. Yeah. This is where and goals come from. And, and exactly. And, and actually, it is. It, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's a very fortunate goal. But, sure. You know, it's a product of their panic as well. Um, and that's because we created that panic that forced Marquinhos to wallop the ball into his own player, um, rather than you know, trap it and pass it out or. You know that that was that was a, that was a little bit of panic, and that was because we created that kind of that kind of frisson. And I, I think in that I agree with you in that first kind of fifteen minutes or so of the second half. I thought we did the the limitations caused by the team selection were still there, but we were trying to make the best of a bad lot. Yeah, um, and we were trying to force things to happen. You know, a bit like a, a Old Trafford in. You know, we didn't really force the goal there so much because we weren't really putting United under pressure. But no. that one piece of play, and again, it was it was fairly similar in that respect. In that, from the right, um, if you've got a player like Jenkinson, one thing he really can do is he can deliver a good ball um, from the right. And a bit like Chamberlain, Chamberlain when he hasn't got the cobwebs in his brain and he's spooning the ball over the bar like he, he is capable of a good delivery and that's that's one of the things that those two players can do. So um yeah, I, I thought at least we were try we were less passive basically. Yeah. We were trying to make the best of the lumps we've been we've been given by the manager. Yeah. Um, to be honest. But yeah, I, I'm sure we'll come on to this. I think my disappointment after that and certainly the manager's was that we didn't press that home and actually at 2-1 we kind of sat off and um, that there's a there's a hangover frustration there for me because um, when we equalised against Manchester United I was I was shouting you know get the ball on the centre spot let's let's go like there's another few mm. minutes we can win this yeah 
Um, and actually what ended up happening was we came under pressure because I was looking at United, they made all their defensive substitutions and I was thinking, right, we've, we've, it's taken us a long time, but we've worked out that if Chamberlain can isolate a full-back and stick a cross in, that they're going to struggle with that. So let's let's just, you know, we don't even have to be sophisticated about it. Let's just keep doing that. Let's do what works until it. it doesn't work anymore. It, exactly. And actually, what ended up happening, despite the fact they've taken a lot of their attacking players off, was that we retreated and we came under pressure. Um, and I, I feel like that really happened. And credit to PSG, like I said at the outset, I think they really picked it up. Um, and they, they really turned the switch a little bit like they thought, how on earth are we 2-1 down? Let, let's like let's correct this injustice kind of thing. But I, I felt like we let them do it a little bit as well. Uh, and I, I think the manager thinks that. I felt our legs started to get a bit heavy. I felt that us pressing them with a little bit heavier legs and them going up a gear or two, they started to cut through us and counter-attack. I mean, when we talk about the six goals Cavani could have had, probably four of them were after we got our second goal and from there on. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and to me, I give us some excuse in terms of we'd put a, a humongous amount of work to get that second goal but the criticism comes from the manager not spotting to make the changes early. I mean, I don't know if you remember that that period where Iwobi ran across their defensive line chasing the ball to one side and then all the way back and everybody cheered him and clapped him. And Alexis had done something similar. And, you know, that was, I think, after we scored our second goal. But it was kind of the last embers of the, the that extra juice we had and mm. you would hope that the manager and his team would say, all right, Iwobi's starting to flag. Now get on whoever, Theo. Because, um, I mean, the ball came off Iwobi's head and into our net in the 77th minute. Yeah, yeah. He could have... He, yeah. he had that sub lined up for a couple of minutes yeah. before, but, yeah, we're talking the 75th minute. Yeah. I mean, not like the sixty-eight. Yeah, and if you and if my theory's right, then you know we had maybe fifteen or twenty minutes of heavy pressing in the second half. That takes you to sixty-five minutes, at which point, in my view, we began to not have the same level of intensity. You know, immediately after the goal, kind of thing, we're beginning to kind of measure our efforts it's not that we're done attacking we're just it's just not the same energy there uh people are working hard back and forward i think if he does something quicker in terms of getting those Mm. subs on then those guys can supplement what we're doing and maintain the energy a little bit that was my read you know the manager can't get away from last night without criticism somewhere and and certainly my biggest criticism was he, he can't play on the field. Once he's made his selections, uh, there were probably no perfect selections for last night. If he's going to go with what he did, okay, I, I could see a rationale for it. But the one thing he can do is make the changes. Uh, at, even if it's not a tactical switch, he can see when the energy is beginning to drop and either push them on, and if they're not being pushed on, to your point... If they're not driving forward, if 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 they haven't got it in them, then get three fucking you know get Jack on, get 
our, our new wing back Oxlade Chamberlain on, and get yeah. uh, get Theo on, who's a hard who's now a hard working covering right wing, um, goes forward, comes back, and to me, the manager missed that moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, and like and Jacker and Walcott as well. I, I feel like that might have been a, a pre-planned kind of if we're two one up, I'll bring these two on because you know it kind of PSG will have to push on. They'll have to play a fairly high line. And if I put Walcott on the right and Granite Jacker in the middle, he's capable of, of finding that ball over the top. Um, but of course, by the time he brought those players on, it was already 2-2 and PSG didn't need to push on. And actually we were the ones that needed the goal. And so, you know, they, they just kind of sat off of them. And whereas if that sub had been made at 2-1, um, you know, me, me and I, I sit next to a couple of guys who are who are not big Walcott fans at all. Um, <laughs> I'd be looking for my but, money back on those tickets. I can tell you, <laughs> I couldn't do that for but, a season. But they 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 are always of the opinion that actually Walcott should come on when we're winning, hmm. and more so than when we're chasing a goal. Um, they always think if we're two one up, put him on now because he'll seal the game for you. Um, yeah. Because it'll get space, basically. Um, but yeah, it, it it felt like he might have been thinking before the game. Yeah, if we're winning, I'll I'll stick Jacker and Walcott on, and we'll we'll see if we can get one on the break. And but again, he he just left left both of those too late for them to to exert any kind of impact. Yeah, yeah. The goal was a shame because it was just a crappy bloody corner. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it was. Uh, I'd have to look at it again, but I don't know if Jenks wasn't covering. Uh, who was it, Lucas? Uh, yeah. And then it will be tired decision, tired legs. I don't know, but tragic. It was. Yeah, it it was a sickener because I could see them pulling us apart. I could see yeah. them passing around us. I could see them putting Cavani in. Um, I couldn't see them scoring a header from a corner. From Lucas Moura does does not score that type of goal very often, and um, we we thought looking at the replay that actually because my first my first uh, reaction was why didn't this been a shout? Mm. And actually, when we looked at the replay in the stadium, it kind of looked like Iwobi went to head the ball and then perhaps got a shout when he'd already committed and. You know, like so, he didn't really commit to just nutting the ball out. He, that that shout when he was shaping up kind of put a little bit of doubt in his mind, and he ended up just kind of flicking it in. Mm. Um, maybe I'd have to see it again. Maybe we misread that, but you know, because I always think, why hasn't he shouted there? But it kind of looks like he did, and actually, it was the shout that caused a little bit of confusion for Iwobi, and it was so um, it was so sad for him really that. You know, he was already coming off, yeah, um, and th that was his last action, and so, Sucked. you know, it, yeah, exactly. He might be like, oh, oh no, I've just scored, and I've got, and now I've got to come off. Like, what a horrible thirty seconds! I don't even get a chance yeah. to to really go and try and put this right somehow. I mean, it was a shitty um, way to concede. You can't argue that they hadn't earned it. It's a shame yeah. a Wobie gets to wear that round his neck for a while. Yeah, and I, I wonder, actually, if, if we'll see him for a little while. Um, mm. You know, when I say a little while, I mean maybe a couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he took him out of the team at Old Trafford, didn't he? Put him on as a sub. You know, he wasn't great in the North London derby and he came into this game and he wasn't great, but again, he was never going to be with Giroud up front uh, because they don't work together. And now this has happened and I wonder if the manager will think, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out for a couple of weeks now and perhaps give Chamberlain a bit more of a run. Or well, I, I plus he's got to squeeze Ramsey in there. So there's, there's yeah, one more yeah, into that front six. Quite possibly, yeah. Um, but I... I I think that he might just end up putting Alexis back on the right or the left, yeah. up front. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's what he might do. Ah. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I, I, I don't like it much either. But um, I, I think everything that Giroud has done this season just says yes. This is the sort. This is the player we bought. This is what we wanted. We wanted. The plan B. We've been trying to make him the plan B for years, and now, like, and and I, I, I also thought, listen, no, no player doesn't want to play, but I actually thought, and this will be fairer on Giroud now, because Giroud, you know, we paid 12 million for him, and he gets us an average of what 18, 19 goals a season, mm-hmm. and that's you know steadily creeping up. He's been excellent value, and he's a he's a very good player, but the problem for him is it's kind of unfair on him because we've never nailed that that first choice striker and so it's been him by default and therefore he's been judged against that standard and I was starting to think this is going to be better for Giroud because he's going to be you know like at Old Trafford um, yeah. you know he always he always struggles in those games when he starts them he always just bangs up against the centre halves and gets frustrated and doesn't do anything but then he you know he gets to come on at Old Trafford and be the hero with the header in the last minute and I was thinking, yeah, this, this is this is good for him as well, um, in a way. Obviously, he'll want to start, but you know, perhaps he'll start to be viewed a bit generously, uh, a bit more generously, a bit more like I think he deserves. But um, if if we start starting him up front on a regular basis again, he's just going to be a lightning rod, um, you know, unless we commit to yeah. his style and we surround him with, you know. Walcott and Chamberlain and, and players like that. Yeah. So it's it's a weird one. I, I have my fears over the next couple of weeks. I yeah. I, I fear Arson has, has lost his nerve a little bit with, with the formula that he found and maybe he thinks that, you know, Awoke has gone off the boil now a bit and actually really we don't we've discussed this many times, we don't have anyone else like Awobi in the squad. So maybe that changes it anyway. Um you know, yeah, um, it's a tough one because the manager has to do something because over the last few games, what we had wasn't working. You don't necessarily blame yeah. it on Alexis, but you've got to do something different, and that has knock-on effects. My, my, uh, I'm afraid of what you said. My hope and maybe instinct is too strong a word, but my inclination, there's a good word, is that he will want to keep going back to the Alexis combination as much as he thinks is workable um so i I still think that's his preference i've always thought uh, as you know that i think giro will get quite a few games um this might be one of those short periods till he finds something else that works uh, or until santi gets back quicker than we think um 
where we might see more Giroud starting than we want instead of Giroud coming off the bench, which we love. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So, uh, unless you got any other hot topics from the game, what are your thoughts on uh, Bournemouth? And it, it, It's almost a shame we won't, won't be facing Jack because that would be kind of yeah. interesting. But yeah, yeah, it really would. It really would. I um, like I say, I, I think the selection for Bournemouth will tell you a lot about what he's got planned um, for certainly going up towards the Christmas period. Um, you know, he's he's kind of expressed doubts about Jenkinson in the in the build up to the Man U game. He was kind of saying, "Well, I've got Gabriel who can play there," which not a massive vote of confidence for <laughs> Jenkinson. And his pre PSG body was asked about Debussy, and he said. Yeah, well, I was tempted to put him in, but I think he needs another week. And the fact that he's thinking about these things means that, you know, he's not he's not sold on Jenkinson at all. And and we got we off. got Chambers. Well, yeah, wing back extraordinaire, <laughs> at least at least for fifteen minutes of focus and concentration. But he's actually done well, quite well, indeed. hasn't he? He has, he has, and uh, you know, who who knows? It could be like a Victor Moses style thing. Maybe yeah, that was his role all along. But um, yeah, I, I think it will tell you a lot about what he's got planned. And I, I do wonder, maybe I, it'll probably be the League Cup game. You'll probably get Debussy back in. And then I think Debussy will kind of take over the right back role. Mm. But um, I think I've got my beady eyes on what he does up front. And I, I think Giroud will probably start again on Sunday. And what he, But what he does in midfield will be very, very interesting um, indeed. And, you know, Bournemouth, one of the reasons we we let Jack go there is because you know they they play decent football they play kind of yeah. passing front to back, um, so you know may, maybe we can look at that and kind of say well maybe maybe this is the time for Ramsey and Jacker. Um, if he doesn't start Granite Jacker on Sunday, then I think we're in the realms of what is going on here. Yeah, <laughs> what's happened or happening behind the scenes and it might be you know i'm not suggesting that it's anything scandalous there might just be a, a perfectly reasonable explanation that none of us are privy to or none of us can work out but um i, I think his selection will be incredibly revealing yeah. but you know B- bournemouth are on a really good run at the moment are they ninth in the league or something like that they're in, i think they're in the top half yeah i have no idea um, but yeah something so like they, that they, they, they've done you know they've done really, really well this season. Yeah. Actually, we had we did have a couple of fairly simple, straightforward games against them last year. I'm not I'm not expecting that on Sunday. Though. Yeah, and, and if I remember right, when Jack started to get his games with them, they were in the bottom two or so. So yeah, yeah, yeah. admittedly it was very early and it didn't really mean a lot. A, a win here or there, and suddenly you're halfway up the table. But they've kind of I saw um yeah. I, I saw an article in the week that. That said something about Wilshire being and and this they weren't being ungenerous to him or tongue in cheek, but they were kind of the premise of the article is who is the best player in the, the best performer in the Premier League with no goals and no assists, um, and, and they said Wilshire. Yeah. Um, but it it was actually a very generous piece, kind of saying, well, actually he's doing quite a lot more um, there, and actually he's letting guys like Harry Arter. Yeah. Uh, kind of do that stuff. He's he's almost like turning into a slightly more considered senior figure yeah. 
there, which which you know could be could be very good for him for his maturity. Well, I always but, remember um, Arson saying, you, you'll probably remember this too, uh, when he came back from injury. You know, give him eight or so starts uh, as he kind of he'd be questioning pressers as to why. Um, Jack wasn't any good yet after an injury. And he's like, he's only back four games, only back five games, only back six games. Then he says, look, he's going to need eight starts was his number as it Mm -hmm. turned out. And that's kind of where Jack is now. You know, I watched the first, uh, I've watched a fair few of his performance. And the first few, I was like, this looks like Jack coming back to play for us in former seasons. You know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of hit and miss, mostly miss. Now should be the time, if he stays fit, where he can really start to turn it on and we'll all be looking at him saying, shit, why isn't he at Arsenal? Yeah, and, you know, possibly as a final thought, um, let's hope Bournemouth really, really miss him on Sunday because yeah. he has been starting. <laughs> He's been starting every week. Yeah. And so they're going to have to come up with a way of replacing him and, and hopefully that will uh, make things more difficult for them. Yeah, they're going to have to come up with a working midfield out of a series of pieces, the poor bastards. Who, who'd ever have to go through something like that? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, let's see who can fix their jigsaw first between them and us at the weekend. All right, Tim. Well, uh, I enjoyed that and my glass of port. So, uh, Me too. Thank you very much, Tim. We'll be seeing everybody or hear, uh, talking to everybody again after the Bournemouth game on Sunday early next week, I guess. So, uh, again, thanks, Tim, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Bye-bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.